back for Culture Catch-Ups. I'm here with Dr. Matthew Tan. We're sharing a peppermint tea in Toon Gabby and we're talking about Stranger Things. It's a little bit late. It's a little bit late, but uh, it's Bez talking about. No one's embarrassed to be still talking about this show. I have no shame. (laughs) It's shameless. Um, I'm going to confess straight away that I haven't seen the last two episodes but there will be spoilers much spoilers this is gonna be a spoiler fest it will be a spoiler fest shameless spoiler fest you have been warned um please leave now if you've not seen at least the first episodes of the second season of stranger things but we have this netflix show that like pops in it was a great surprise last year went down crazily popular in a popular way and um did you binge it last year what happened i um i did not exactly binge on it last year but i did um i did watch it probably over the course of maybe a couple of months okay yeah it was sort of wow it wasn't exactly all that high on my um um list of Viewing priorities. <laughs> I was going to, I was like, life TV priorities, priorities, TV priorities. No, TV yeah. priorities. What else were you watching at the time? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I was yeah. watching, you know, I was watching um, Scandinavian crime dramas. I was watching, um, well, actually, now that I think about it, there's a lot of crime dramas that I was mm. watching uh, at the same time. Okay, so it was this kind of like balance between like my 80s nostalgia and nostalgia That's versus right. the sort of small serious right. dark scandinavian stuff That's right. Was that that show that Dr. McInerney was into? Um not sure which one was he in. I remember him talking about Oh, that uh, would this have scandinavian been scandinavian crime would, one. That probably would have into. been the killing or the bridge. The bridge, the bridge, there's oh, the fog. Yes. Yeah, yes, right. The fog. <laughs> so Dr. Tan and Dr. McInerney were my lecturers um at Campion College Australia uh from during my degree from 2014 to 2016. So we're here reunited for um, discussing this really, really important TV show, which um, my housemates and I totally binged shamelessly last year, and it was awesome. Uh, So this year around, did you kind of take it all in in one fell swoop, or did you more temperate this time? More temperate. Still Even more temperate than last year? No, no. I mean, I, I, I watched it far more regularly than I okay. did um, the first season. Um, but having said that, I still paced myself at a rate of about one or two episodes per night. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah that's decent. Because hmm. I feel like with this show, there's so much suspense. They just go crazy with it. They're totally shameless with the suspense. Mm-hmm. Very well done, though. Got Absolutely. What's your favorite like cliffhanger in this season? Like, do you remember any of the awesome moments? I just feel like there were so many where it was just like you have to go to the next episode, skip the intro. Yeah, I'll tell, tell you what. I mean, I did not actually have. Um, I wasn't actually taken in by the cliffhangers. Right. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not really the the kind of person for whom cliffhangers actually make me want to watch a next, another episode. Yeah. Um, that only has happened maybe once, and that was in a very, very obscure show, so obscure that I actually cannot remember what it was. Yeah. But that's the only time that cliffhangers have actually worked. 
Wow. So you're like that kind of rare viewer that just is not at all interested in that suspenseful music, the bang and the like. Not Go exactly. To the yeah, not exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm more of a I'm more of a plot and character development person. If the if the plot is stupid or if the characters are not well developed, I I very quickly lose interest. Okay. Mm. Okay. So he's a um yeah, you're a discerning viewer. Who's your favorite uh, of the kids, though. Can we talk about these amazing characters? Okay, let's talk about the kids. Okay, so Dustin has always been my favorite since the mm-hmm. beginning because he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys have seen his uh, TV show appearances, he's an incredible singer. He seems to have a great relationship with his sister. I'm not saying I've looked at these videos a lot. I'm just saying that it's out there and people have to see it. But he's amazing. I was so disappointed in him this season when he got taken in by like the sort of baby Demogorgon dart and like was just compromised all of his righteousness that he built up in the last season. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of nodding by the way, for the sake of our listeners. Yeah. Um, it's serious. It's Dustin very serious nodding. brings out so much serious emotion in me. I think it's just the list. To be honest. Mm. Um, is Jim a favorite? I, Dustin is uh, of all of the kids, Dustin is my absolute favorite. Um, for you know, for a number of reasons. One is that he, of all of the kids, he is by far the dorkiest of all of the kids. Um, he, yeah, so true. Um, on on top of the appearance, there is also the fact that he is probably the most knowledgeable in all matters Dungeons and Dragons, um, which true. puts him in a particular category of dorky, um, and he is sort of. You know, by virtue of his appearance and by virtue of how he sounds, he is more of an outcast than the other outcasts. Um, yeah, that's and, it. Yeah. You know, so he's the most marginal of the characters in many Yeah, respects. and I love how in this season we get a bit of a more a closer look into his family situation. We kind mm-hmm. of see that he has this sort of uh, parental inversion relationship with his mom, and I, it was it was kind of sad to see him you know, taking care of her and, and like lying to her that like the Demogorgon hadn't eaten the cat and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and also just now that you've, you've just jolted my memory with, with this thing about um, having, you know, certain family dysfunctions, but you, when you think about one of the things that is most striking about the, um, the TV series, right. Is that it is a, it is an inversion of a lot of the um, themes that you've come to expect from a 1980s, um, TV show, whereas a 1980s TV show or sitcom, you always expect to have these ideal family situations. Here, the norm is the fact that there is no normal family situation. Yeah, um, I mean, we've got so we've got Will, mm-hmm. who's who's mothered by Winona Ryder. Mm-hmm. Um, already, he's in trouble, um, even though she's amazing. But like, that's a complicated family situation, to say yeah. the least with the inclusion of poor Bob, who we knew was going to die. Like immediately, you're like, he's the fat guy. He's going to die. That's right. Um, poor, poor Bob. Bob. <laughs> and he's the nice guy. Notice that it's the nice guys that actually just sort of go first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah poor Bob. Um, and then we have Mike, whose parents are stressing out over mm-hmm. this whole, like, my kids are becoming adolescents. And, mm-hmm. and we can't deal with it. Yeah, yeah. And then we've got Lucas. Yes, there's Lucas. The token black kid. Token black kid in this Midwestern community. But Maxine, who's mm. going through this in- super intense Period at the hands of a sociopathic 
um, is he some kind? Yeah, like her brother. Is he representing some kind of like angry eighties thing, or is he just? Or if or is he? Or is he basically a a caricature of the nineteen eighties bad boy? Yeah. My feeling is that he's that he's a he's the a mullet. Yeah, he's a cutout. The mullet's amazing. Absolutely. So it's ridiculous. Matthew, yeah. did you have one of those? Um, Umbrella, not the umbrella hats, the helicopter hats, like Dustin's hat, though. Is that why you identify with Dustin the most? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Okay. So Fuzzy Bear. You've heard it here first. Is my hero. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's why I loved him so much. I totally forgot about that. That's amazing. That's right. So what I want to know, though, mm. is, like, you're an expert in the intersection of pop culture and philosophy and theology and what's the meaning of all this. So I know that I can be totally ridiculous when it comes to trying to find meaning in every single tiny There's little bit of shit. There's nothing that's too ridiculous for me. That's it. Okay, so Matthew Chan's just written a book about zombie Jesus. It's called, I'm looking at it right now to plug it, and it's called Redeeming Flesh, The Way of the Cross with Zombie Jesus. So we know that there's got to be a lot to say about why this show is so popular and so pertinent at this time. We've got 21st century, my generation who are kind of in, into Snapchat streaks and the internet and stuff and kind of having this sense of like, do we have an evil to fight against? Do we have to fight against the Trump, Trump administration and um, all these social justice issues that are coming up at the moment? Is there a kind of evil fighting stream that this is getting into and tapping into? Mm-hmm. There, there, there is. I mean, at, at one level... The whole supernatural thing is not new, mm. um, because the supernatural thing has has um, sort of been with us for almost as as long as there has been um, television and cinema, right? I mean, you've had um, the War of the Worlds um, sort of uh, um, being produced um, in the early part of the twentieth century, right? So the it really comes to the fall, probably in the 1990s, when the X-Files really takes the whole supernatural motif um, and mainstreams it, right, to, in a way that you wouldn't expect from, say, um, shows like all right, The Outer Limits um, and The Twilight Zone. Oh my gosh, right? can you sing The Twilight Zone theme song for I, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> it, was it was that long ago. Let's talk about good versus evil. Um, what is so pertinent? What is so enduring in the supernatural motif, the the paranormal motif, is that there is this fight between good and evil, but the but the fight between good and evil no longer really takes place in what we would norm, you know, what we would call normality, right? Um, there is no bad guy in the sense that there's a bad human, right? There mm. is a bad non-human um, paranormal entity. Yeah, it's um, an, it's such an entity. That's and right. You know, and in a way, there is a, um, you know, there is this sort of um, um, challenge that is posed to humanity from. Um, you know, outside the species, outside even um, um, the earthly plane, or even sometimes in the case of, say, Stranger Things, the temporal plane. Hmm. 
right? So there's this idea that there's a challenge that comes to us and it comes to us um, from something beyond, right? From somebody that is other. Yeah, um, and, and the challenge is... And, and the, challenge, the challenge is manifold. I mean, in the case of um, Stranger Things, the challenge is, not, is nothing short of just ensuring our own survival. Yeah, right? and it's up um, to these kids. And it's up to these kids to actually... Um, it's up to these kids to actually sort of stop that from happening. Mm. Right? Um, other thing that... Um, you know, so, so in a way... The Duffer Brothers are kind of playing off that enduring theme of the challenge from the beyond, right? That we need to also talk about the nature of the evil that um, the boys in Stranger Things are are asked to fight. Right? Um, yes, at one level there is, you know, there is our, there, there is our survival that is being. Um, threatened hmm. by by the likes of the demogorgon, and you see this kind of thing in all sorts of supernatural, um, in all sorts of supernatural themes and um, sorry, supernatural shows and TVs yeah, and movies yeah. and things like that. The only thing that makes it different is the fact that an, there is a sort of like another realm of operation in the in the show, which hmm. is um, the upside down. Which then mirrors geographically and it geographically and mirrors everything in the above ground. Yeah. But at the same time, it is um, um, precisely that. It's a it's a mirror image. It's not a real. It, oh, it is a real place, but in a way, it doesn't actually reflect the the realities of um, uh, the above world. Yeah, and we right? have this. It has this kind of life inside Will Mm. and it connects with him when he's suffering, it's suffering and he can tell what what it wants and that kind of thing. And so I had this strong sense from everything from how uh, Eleven experienced it in the first season to how we kind of see this coming forth in the second season is that like it's this kind of psychological thing of like this sort of flipped around other version of what's going on in reality and this kind of mm. evil that has to be purged. Like I, I was kind of well, thinking like these stuff brothers are like psychological, like, well, it's not, it's not just a, it's not just a, a, a an other version of reality. It's mm. actually, it's actually a, a negation of reality. Okay. So a like, negation, how does that work? Well, look, you, I mean you, the negation. Okay. So, so now, now I'm sort of invoking the, um, the thought of the, um, Third, North, uh, third century North African, sorry, fourth century North African um, uh, philosopher slash theologian by the name of Augustine of Hippo. He um, was the first to posit the idea uh, of whether evil had a substance of its own. And, and his answer was that no, evil does not have a substance of its own. What evil is, is um, a subtraction, a negation of things that do exist. And upside down. And upside down. Mm. And in a way, you can see this portrayed in in the way that the upside down is a sort of uh, one big patch of black. There's Mm. there's nothing. And cold. It's cold. Decay. Yeah, exactly. Anything that is in the upside down um, either decays or deteriorates in some way. But it grows, like it it attacks this pumpkin thing and it's spreading. Well, that's right. But what does it do? It it, it attacks the pumpkins. It it makes them less pumpkin-y 
than, you know, than they were before. <laughs> yeah, true. Right? Like it kills them off. Right? It's useless um, for the farmers as a crop. Yeah. Right. So it's a there's a negation going taking place. Mm. Right. Um, and um, there's this idea that anybody who is in it, in a way, gets um, you know has its be- has their being and their substance subtracted from their being there. Even the the ones who are used to being in there are um, you know experience some form of decay. Remember that the that every time L goes into the upside down she starts to bleed mm. right so so her, her yeah, it physical, takes something away from her that's right the physical integrity becomes compromised by her being in the upside down yeah mm. and is that what's happening when she kind of taps into that inner strength that she has she's kind of taking something from the upside down like is she channeling it i never figured this out like, well I, I don't think it's ever made clear no. the show doesn't make clear where her abilities um come from Right. Yeah. So um, I don't exactly know what exactly she's channeling Amazing. when she channels her, her powers. Mm. Um, all I can say is that when this particular show um, is is playing itself out, it's playing its or unfolding. It's unfolding uh, against this context of not just good and evil as two beings that just so happen to be on opposite sides. But that you really have a sense of the, uh, you know, of good and evil in this Augustinian sense, framed in terms of things that do exist um, versus those that you know, things that don't exist, or the negation of the things that do exist. Yeah, and all kind of caught up in this one ball of. That's right. Like I mean, in, in eleven, they're so close together. So this darkness and light, right. and, and the same in. Um, in, in obviously Will as well, mm-hmm. who's kind of suffering this. He's like the most innocent, beautiful kid and then yep. also has this darkness within him and a kind of like, yeah, Lord and of the Rings it, and it, well, and it, and it eats him up. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's a, you know, again, um, tied in with that is, is another Augustinian theme and that is the, the idea that when we are the flawed human beings that we are, we also aren't the singular human beings that we are. We actually are, you know, have... Sp- split personalities we you know the the ancients called multiplicity hmm. right that we are multiple beings um, all at once constantly um at war um, yeah i do what i don't want to do and that's right what i don't want saint paul that's right you have the the thing that i do want to do i don't do and the thing that i do want to do i end up not doing yeah and then so is there another way to see this kind of notion of evil though i mean we we're talking about a kind of freudian sense. you were looking at freud yes um and um freud doesn't talk about uh about things in terms of good and evil although he does sort of um have this idea that um it is lack that drives our actions right so when we do things we do things um as a as a, in a way uh, uh with the motivation of trying to fill that lack. With yeah, us. and I saw like, this so much in like this when we meet Carly, the um, mm-hmm. the other Indian kid who like suffered that same abuse as Eleven and went through the same thing, and they, and she kind of reacts to this wound. She calls it like you know you've received mm-hmm. this wound and it's gonna fester and grow inside of you unless you kind of act out of that that yeah. lack you're suffering mm-hmm. and and cause chaos in the world and kind of 
pay back those people who cause that suffering to yep. you. But the awesome thing about Eleven, and this is one of the like the high points I think of this second season, is when Eleven chooses um, sacrificial love and chooses to go back to her friends over kind of killing that dad of yeah. those two kids. Well, it's not it's not as simple it's not as simple as that because you have to remember that um, that even though Callie talks about the idea of the wound, she also channels the wound. Like mm. she, 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 you know, think of the episode where um, she tries to train Elle to move that freight train, right? And what does she do? What What does she rely on? Oh my gosh! The yeah, memories the of his, yeah. Of, the memories of you know of anger, of the torture, of the pain. Oh, and she sees right? that scene with Maxine. And exactly. And right? the skateboard. So, so the. Um, you know, there's this there's this idea that you want to, um, you know, that you want to cast it out, but at the same time you can't because you, you know, you actually want to harness it. Yeah, and in you order to feed on it. Yeah, in yeah. order to sort of you know enhance yourself. So right? is that Freudian so as well? That's kind of Freudian. Um, there's also a part of it that's slightly Nietzschean as well. Right. Um, but we we won't need to go into into Nietzsche we because that just that just really. complicates. <laughs> um, it just complicates matters at the yeah point. yeah. Um, but um, you so so the the idea is not so much to cast out the pain, but to harness the pain, and um, when you understand it in those terms then it becomes then something more complex happens l is seen as the self-sacrificial figure which is true but she is not doing so in direct contradistinction to callie as the person who wants to cast all you know cast the pain out cast the wounds out right because in the first place callie is not Casting the wounds out. She's harnessing the wounds. Elle is also harnessing the wounds. But then she transforms the entire logic of what to do with those wounds. Right? Whereas Callie uses the wounds as a means to enhance her abilities so that she can better assert herself over and against the world. Elle, you know, uses the you know uses the 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 exact same pain, but then but then turns its logic from uh, uh, turns its logic around by by basically saying she's not using this to assert herself in the world, but to better immerse herself into it, to better you know to better protect it, mm. to um, better how shall I say it? Well, okay, well let's just satisfy ourselves to it better protect it. Yeah. yeah. So so. So in a way, she is, you know, doing what, what Christian theology calls an act of redemption, is a redemptive act. She's taking what's there and completely turning its logic around, turning it on its head. Right? So she's not eliminating something. Right? She is actually um, undermining it from, from within. Mm, she's redeeming it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's so heavy. And so she really is this kind of like classic hero figure, the redemptive hero who comes through suffering, comes from a, a, like a, a dark past, a mysterious origin story, mm-hmm. comes in through to face the evil, but then turns it around to 
to kind of create the better good for everybody, the greater good for everybody kind of thing. In a, in a way, yes. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I mean, we've covered so, so much. I think um, the final question I have to ask you, though, Matthew, is um, are you Team Steve or Team Jonathan? I'm, I'm Team Steve. Why are you Team Steve? I'm... What's wrong with you? Well, you know. You're a monster. I am. Team Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Come on. Every single way, they write for each other. You just like the hair, don't you? I, yeah, I do. It's just the hair. Mm-hmm. Matthew's jealous. I get it. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so, so much for your time um, and this peppermint tea. It's been incredible. I'm really looking forward to the third season. Is it going to happen? Is the third season, third season going to happen? Do we know? What is? The third season. Oh, as far as I'm aware, yes. Um, it's got to keep going. It's. I think I think it's going to keep going. I do not know how it's going to keep going, but it's going to keep going. What do you reckon is going to happen? I have no idea. And that, my friends, is culture itself. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. No worries.